you're listening to women's cricket chat with Hannah and Alex coming up on today's podcast we've got Hong Kong cricket vice captain Yasmin Daswani now Yasmin has played for Hong Kong Spencer Cricket Club and the MCC and when she's not playing cricket she's being an all-round badass as a lawyer Perfect. Well, I think we're ready to start. So thank you so much, Yasmin, for joining us. And I guess the first question for us is just, how's things going for you at the moment? Yeah, things are great. So we're preparing for the World Cup qualifiers, which are in November. So it basically works that all the regions are split up. So we're playing in the Asia region qualifiers, um, and that's in Malaysia. There were supposed to be some tournaments as well. There was supposed to be a tournament earlier last year in Malaysia as well but obviously because of Covid things have just been getting cancelled left right and centre but yes I play in the UK as well so I play play for Spencer Cricket Club and the MCC and also for Hong Kong. Yeah perfect because I was really lucky to go to Hong Kong back in 2014 as well so I've got a bit of insight about what cricket is like in Hong Kong with the MCC so we will definitely have to chat about the MCC because I said it before it genuinely changed my life in terms of being able to travel, play cricket, mix with some amazing women. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about the MCC. Yeah, no, it is incredible. I mean, I only just started last year. And so again, it was quite a stop-start year. So we had a few games, but not many. But no, I've met people through the MCC who have come to Hong Kong. And I do think it's just brilliant. It's just such a good way. Because I think a lot of cricket is getting to know different people. That's like one of the biggest benefits of playing a team sport is that you get to meet obviously lots of people within your own team and also in the opposition. And yeah, being able to travel the world is just an added bonus. You realise how different the structure is in different countries, because it really is like I played against teams who don't even have kit and, you know, they'll run onto the, someone will get out, like a battle will get out, they'll run off the pitch and then the next person will run on and they'll like take off all their kit and pass it on to the next person. So it's kind of like a relay with kit. And I think it makes you realise just how lucky certain countries are. So like the UK being one of them, that people are able to afford kit. And I think you only get that experience by playing against different countries and traveling to different countries you just touched on how countries have different structures could you explain to us about the structure set up in hong kong and how it differs from england yeah so i mean hong kong's completely different it's a lot smaller than england it was an ex-british colony so cricket is prevalent there as well but it's mainly amongst the expat community There's not as many local Chinese who are playing, but the women's team actually has started. So the men's team is entirely Pakistani, Indian, some English, but the women's team is about half Chinese, which is brilliant. And it's largely due to a woman called Anita Miles. So unfortunately she passed away, but she was just incredible at getting us all together, bringing in youngsters. So she brought me on, I think when I was about 12, like brought me into the game. And a lot of my friends and teammates are also through Anita Miles and she just really cultivated that culture. So we used to have like team dinners together and she was always really encouraging even when like, you know, we were just starting up, which is so important, like having a feeling of community when you're starting out. So for people who don't know, um, Anita Miles is Tash Miles's mum. So Tash Miles played for Middlesex. She had a very like lengthy career there and played for the MCC. But tell us a little bit more about Anita and Tash and her dad as well, because I know they're such a big influence, like you've already mentioned. Yeah, so they're huge in Hong Kong. Um, so we've got, I guess, like two main clubs in Hong Kong. So the Hong Kong Cricket Club, the Cowling Cricket Club, and then you've got other teams as well, but they're not necessarily tied to a club. But the Miles were part of the Hong Kong Cricket Club and they were just a huge part. So 
Rodney Miles, who's Tasha's dad, um, he's on the board, I think, of directors for the whole of Cricket Hong Kong. As you said, Tash came up through the ranks. She kind of learned how to play in Hong Kong, used to play for Hong Kong as well, and then decided she wanted to try for England, had big aspirations and has done really well out here. And then her mother was fostering cricket within Hong Kong, so getting on local girls, because I think she realised the importance of having homegrown talent as well. So the issue with Hong Kong is it's just so trans. So you have people who will come to the country for a few years, like a lot of expats or their parents' jobs bring them to, to Hong Kong. They'll play for a bit and then they'll leave. But whereas you need that local talent, and I think there's 7 million people in Hong Kong. So if you have Chinese girls playing, then more Chinese girls will see it as a sport that they might be interested in. So it, it, yeah, she did wonders for the game. Like I said, 50% of our team are local Chinese and that's pretty much all due to her which is an incredible legacy. And I know that like her name's just spoken so widely in Hong Kong and amongst us because we all do. We've just got so much gratitude. And I mean, they financially supported the team as well. Yeah, the family did. So you literally just took the words out of my mouth because I was going to say like, what a legacy. Yeah, it's just truly incredible. I think that's kind of, nobody's really filled her shoes. They were huge shoes to fill. And I think it's a shame because there hasn't been anybody there but it is just such a big job I mean she dedicated her life to help like to this and so yeah it's just incredible and she was at every game on the boundary we used to make these like little barbecues after like in between innings breaks she used to feed us all all the time so she was just amazing when I was luckily enough to go out to Hong Kong and we did a Hong Kong China tour and it was I think it was a week in both countries and I remember like Anita was there for most of it hyping us all up and getting excited bringing some snacks and stuff like that and just it was just the energy absolute Mm -hmm. energy like cheering everybody on and the MCC we talk about like the spirit of cricket and I think Anita really did embody that and for me I only knew her for like a week let Mm -hmm. alone for yourself who's known her like the majority of your life so yeah no so it's really sad because I think yeah everyone she's just really sorely missed within cricket Hong Kong at the moment but yeah no that's great that you managed to come out to Hong Kong it is just such a beautiful place I think in terms of as a city like you can be in the middle of a city and then 20 minutes later you can be on a beach or you can be hiking up on the trails and stuff like that it's just an incredible place but going back to your original question about the differences I guess between Hong Kong and the UK in Hong Kong the facilities aren't as good so I think the women play at a ground called PKVR Pokong Village Road and it's really far out of like the city centre so you do have to travel quite a way to get there for the longest time it was AstroTurf that we used to play on so it's like rubber ball bounce it kind of gets you into not great habits because you're used to camping out on the back foot whereas when you're when you go for international tournaments like you you're playing on actual turf wickets and then so adjusting to that's quite difficult they've changed it now but it's still not the best pitch and stuff like that so there's definitely challenges and that's just because Hong Kong's quite small and so there's just not the areas basically to have these cricket pitches um and you've got competitive like it's basically the men and women thing as well I think the men get priority over the best grounds which is the case for all sports unfortunately and it's a massive shame just quickly on you playing for Hong Kong, was it a country that you always wanted to play for or were you eligible to play for another country, say England perhaps? Hong Kong's my home. So I was brought up in Hong Kong. My parents were born and brought up in Hong Kong as well. I'm Indian by descent and also I've got a British passport. So I guess there's a couple of countries there that would be at play. But 
no, Hong Kong has always been my home. Um, and, and yeah, just the place that I'm most proud of. I speak Chinese better than I speak Hindi. So that's something as well. I think my mom initially got me into playing cricket because she was like, you guys are Indian. You don't have much connection with your heritage. So Indians love cricket. So you should play cricket. And that was her logic behind getting us into playing initially. But yeah, so I think Hong Kong's always been the place that I wanted to play for, though. Because that's, I mean, just seeing your flag when you go out to bat, it's incredible. It's an incredible feeling. I've been lucky enough to play in India and England as well. But yeah, I think the step up in terms of standard as well is just huge. And I've got a career as well. So playing for somewhere like India or England, you'd have to be fully professional. And I've always had a career on the side. You just mentioned previously as well about that gender, I guess, gendered experiences that women do often kind of face with the men always seeming to get priority and stuff and I don't know how well you know Roberta because I know you've been doing lots of work within the associate nations and everything but Roberta was telling us about in Brazil the women get priority because they're the best team and it's as simple as that it's not a gender thing it's purely the best kind of team but I guess it still is a gender thing but um that was such a refreshing thing to hear because she said it's not traditional in Brazil and they've managed to shape the sport that benefits women in this case and Mm. it was just so interesting to hear that I'd be interested to hear Thailand's perspective as well because I know that they do a lot better than their men's team so I wonder if they get priority as well the thing is I guess the funding within the ICC is still I think favours the men so if the men perform well then the whole country gets funding I don't know if the women's performance equals to the same amount of funding so I guess the incentive there is to try and get your men's team as high as possible if the funding is then dependent on how well uh, on the men's rankings yeah so it's just a bit of a shame I think that's the way it is in Hong Kong for, for sure You mentioned earlier that you have a career alongside your cricketing career has it been challenging balancing your law career alongside your cricket career or have no it's it's been challenging for sure um a lawyer as well so it's quite intense I mean the workload's quite high sometimes um I try and structure it so that during summer months I'm less busy and I'll try and get a lot more work done during the winter when we when we have our off season but my firm have been really really supportive of like my cricket aspirations as well and I guess even like this COVID pandemic it's just actually been helpful in a lot of ways because you're able to work remotely more I mean it's pushed workplaces to actually allow their employees and to trust their employees to work from home and so I mean if you cut out the commute time that gives you so much more time than to play cricket I mean I live right next to Spencer Cricket Ground so my intention is just to go down and train as as often as I can and yeah not having to commute into work really really helps that But yeah, it's just, I mean, I managed to work remotely as well and play in Barbados for a bit, which was incredible, like was an incredible experience. I don't know if either of you have ever been out there, but the people are just so friendly. Um, I trained with the University of the West Indies and, you know, Pedro Collins, who was a really good bowler for the West Indies. And that was just insane. And I don't think I would have had that opportunity in normal circumstances. So I guess like, I mean, it's been a horrific experience for everybody, like, I know COVID's been challenging for everyone, but there are some silver linings for how the world's changing as a result of it. Definitely agree with that because this podcast was born out of a pandemic as well, I guess. Like it gave us that time to actually do something that we're passionate about. But tell us a bit more about Barbados. So how did that come around and tell us more about that experience? It sounds amazing. It was incredible. I mean, I feel bad for my boyfriend. So I kind of, he wanted to go on holiday and my priority was to find somewhere that played cricket. So I bought my entire cricket bag with me on holiday. He was kind of just like face palming. So Barbados was on the list of places where 
I think it was a travel corridor with the UK and it played cricket and it was a beautiful country. So it ticked all the boxes. Um, and yeah, I, I spoke to so Shamila from the West Indies. So she got me in touch with Pedro Collins, said, oh, you can start coaching with him. And I managed to play three times a week. They actually asked me to come back again as well in February for a tournament. But unfortunately, that was cancelled because of COVID. But I mean, the opportunities were incredible there. And it's just like I said, just being able to experience another country another country set up to understand like what facilities they have to meet some of the people just really amazing and cricket's always had like I think some of my best experiences have been through cricket and through traveling through cricket but I'd recommend going if you're looking for your next holiday destination we have been um badgering did you get to meet Nasira the media officer for West Indies at all no I didn't but that would have been nice because we've been badgering her quite a bit haven't we Alex like the minute we can go we're over there (laughs) do it yeah I mean the whole of the West Indies there's so many different places that you can go visit Um, and they're all cricket mad like you just see it on the you know on the streets and it kind of has that India feel where people are just crazy about it everybody seemed to know Pedro whenever we went out on the streets they'd be like oh say this to Pedro I know him I know him it was just like there's no way the whole country seems to know him but, but they did And when you get the chance to go to these countries, do you get a lot of sightseeing done or is it mainly focused on the cricket? It's both. So, I mean, my boyfriend would have never forgiven me if we'd gone to Barbados and not not sightsee. But no, so we, we did get to sightsee as well. And the country is just beautiful. I mean, there's so much natural beauty there. It's just the sea because it's an island, right? So the whole, it's just sparkling blue. Yeah, it was just an amazing place. And the people are just so friendly because everyone there speaks English as well. And it's got a lot of history. So we, did you know that rum, um, do you know what rum's made out of? Do either of you know? Sugar cane. So I learned that while I was out there. Um, and so they had plantations out there. So it, it, like we did a rum distillery tour as well, um, which was also like really cool. You said you dragged your boyfriend across there. So I was really lucky to go to Australia last year to the World Cup and I dragged my boyfriend with me and he literally just sat in the crowd whilst I was in like the media box and stuff. And it was the best kind of time ever because we got to do that kind of sightseeing outside of it and then the work bit, I was on my own, but it was just nice knowing that he was there. So how important is it to have that supportive partner supporting you through all of your cricket endeavours? No, incredibly supportive. I don't think I ever realised until I met Dan how important it is just because, I mean, he is there every game he's like when I if I ask him to video things because you know with cricket a lot of it is as well watching yourself play watching yourself do certain shots and then tweaking it depending on you know what you're trying to achieve and so Dan's just really amazing at that in terms of he'll like he'll come to my sessions he'll film everything and he'll help analyze it as well so I'm just really lucky that he's so into it as well I don't think it's a necessary I don't think you need to have a partner who's also crazy about cricket but it definitely helped because I think sometimes you end up competing like you're both trying to achieve different things and so like you can get pulled in different ways but no Dan's really supportive and he's incredible in his own right so he's like got a pizza restaurant he's really entrepreneurial and yeah he's I mean this is opening up a second restaurant so I'll take you guys one day <laughs> to come to, to the restaurant and he's a lawyer as well so in that sense I guess we really do understand each other like I understand when he's really busy what that means and like the fact that sometimes he might not be able to do things because he's really busy with work and so yeah we really support each other I don't know if either of you have read but Cheryl Sandberg's book uh, have you heard of her so she's the C um she's really high up in Facebook 
and she wrote a book about that that just the importance of having a partner who's really 50 50 in life so I think for women as well traditionally it would be they would be in charge of the children and the men would be kind of the ones who work whereas Cheryl talks about the fact that you want a person who's 50 50 in life who's really going she said you really know true love when like you know you have a screaming child and like your husband just takes him off you and like lets you work or lets you continue with what you're doing and and yeah and I really do believe that I think it's really important yeah and no, I completely agree because we spoke to Enid as well and she was very much like that Enid Bakewell the legend that is and she was saying like she was trying to make sure her husband was the same and like you know she's got cricket she's got to prioritize that and he needs to pull his way and she loved the fact that I said no my partner makes all the food because I'm terrible at cooking she's like that's how men should be and stuff and yeah. that was quite funny but you've kind of mentioned it as well it's like it's not just about that partner support but just support generally isn't it so yeah. it doesn't matter if you've got a partner or you don't have a partner but just getting support from somewhere is so mm-hmm. important definitely I mean so many people so many of the greatest like legends within sport have got parents who've been super supportive of them and I think that's where it starts doesn't it like if you have a parent who's like driving you to training who's making your life easier that's a huge hurdle that you've already overcome because part of sports is also like getting the right kit you know the moral support having somebody who's positive you know like all of us have gone through periods where we don't think we're good enough or you really are at a low point because you haven't been performing well and just having people who believe in you is just really important um, and who are supportive of you no matter what and I think I've been lucky enough to have it both from my parents and from a partner because my mum I mean at times I think they've been like what are you doing like (laughs) you should be focusing on your career or your studies Um, why are you putting so much emphasis on this but equally I mean they've been there throughout as well and they've been at all the games and like they follow all the scorecards I think it's more nerve-wracking for them like what you know stressful finals and stuff like that you mentioned that you are an accomplished lawyer and you studied law at university what made you decide to study law because a lot of cricketers who do go end up going to university they tend to go down the sports route so sports science sports therapy etc so what made you decide that law would be the one for you Really interesting question. I guess I've always been academic in school, so I've always enjoyed the academic challenge. I mean, not to say that sports science isn't academically challenging, because it is, but I think law was just appealing in the sense that I've also always really enjoyed business and they kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. I mean, law just permeates everything. Just having that knowledge just helps you in a lot of ways. So I mean, like I've done employment law, so like I know a lot about contracts. It it helps my family and friends as well, like the knowledge that you have of contracts and also of like the litigation process and all of that sort of thing. And I just love it. I mean, I think I went into it just kind of thinking, okay, well, it's a good base degree. Like law you're never gonna it's never gonna be a waste of time because you can use it regardless and then just as I got deeper and deeper into it I just fell more and more in love with it and like the area that I'm doing now is litigation it's just so different like day to day it's just so varied and challenging and I just don't know if you get that in other careers as much but I'm always learning something new yeah that you could be like debt collecting one day or helping someone like recover a debt or then you can be in court like fighting for somebody who's lost mental capacity and needs help like managing their finances and stuff like that and like what's the outcome there it's just yeah it's just so varied and incredible how about you two what do you both do well I studied broadcast journalism so I can kind of understand a little bit when you say law is like really interesting and stuff because we study media law at university so I found that really interesting knowing about defamation copyright contempt Mm -hmm. which still takes me a little bit 
of time to get my head round. And it did sort of make me consider potentially in the future to become a media lawyer because it's really, like you say, it's really fulfilling and really rewarding. So yeah, I'm going to hand over to Hannah so she can explain her life story to you. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a podcast without saying Loughborough apparently. So I'm still at Loughborough, seven years in now so did English and sports science for my undergrad and so I really appreciate when you said about sports science is difficult and stuff because normally people just think we're I don't know I don't know what a polite word is but they normally take the mick out of people who do sports science and they say it's not a proper course and stuff so yeah did English and sports science and I did a master's in global media and cultural industries because I wanted to go down the marketing route but I couldn't afford the marketing degree um, like at postgraduate level and that one was cheaper and then ended up going down an academic route so I'm doing a PhD at the moment I've got 18 months left mm-hmm. looking at elite female cricketers uses and perceptions of social media oh, awesome. so, yeah it's been really good fun at the moment it's, it seems very topical especially with obviously with Alex Hartley spat a few weeks back and how athletes are using social media to benefit the game and themselves or not really doing that so yeah it's interesting yeah so I'm definitely very similar the academic hat on me but also the media hat as well yeah and I mean that is so topical you're right I mean there's you see the use I think I looked at like the top people like with the most Instagram following and followings and I think women are up there in equal amounts as men I think it's like 50 50 isn't it I mean you'll know more than I will but there are some women who are incredible with their social media presence like I think Sky Brown is one of them who's just a kid as well Um, but she's up there as like the top most marketable athlete Naomi Osaka and it just means that I mean that's what the youngsters of today are using social media and so when they have these really prevalent female role models it's just it's brilliant because they've got people to aspire to be like it's exactly that and that's what I've been looking at because arguably women's cricket I'm focusing purely on um, England at the moment they're more kind of micro influencers I guess in terms of their following it's 10,000 here 8,000 there it's not massive numbers apart from if you look at like someone like Danny White who's got 100,000 odd kind of followers <laughs> so it's really interesting to see whether these athletes actually want to be visible whether they see it as part of their job to inspire younger girls like you mentioned or whether perhaps they don't see it as important and it's not for them to do it's more for England cricket or like ECB to be doing it instead it's like should yeah. we be putting that pressure on athletes it's extra labor isn't it I guess but then at the same time it's so powerful like you mentioned yeah because they're building a brand aren't they I mean like England cricket is a brand in itself but the individual athletes are equally a brand and you can stay away from it I think like I don't think all of them need to have a presence if you really don't want it then 100% like you shouldn't be made to have social media presence I mean I know that sometimes it can do net damage to somebody because there's also a lot of negative things that come with social media I mean you get you're going to get the nasty comments you're going to get all of that as well but yeah as I mean I guess at the end of the day they're not going to be able to play cricket forever either like nobody's going to be able to play cricket forever and so it's kind of like well what's next then you're planning for your future as well and so if you've got 100k followers I mean that's amazing because it's a platform to launch anything then in the future as well so I guess it's the education behind it so making sure that people are properly educated especially when they're young I think social media can be like a curse as well as a blessing because young people potentially don't think as much about their image and you know is this appropriate is it not to post on social media um so yeah you've honestly got like my inner nerd is like oh my god yes because it's literally like that's what I've been kind of discussing within my pieces so far is are we putting too much kind of pressure on athletes to be these kind of role models but then at the same time actually it's this education piece that is really really important and 
especially within the domestic game within England, I know for a fact there isn't much media training. They get like a one-off workshop from like the PCA or ECB or someone. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And they're kind of like left to their own devices. They don't get the support. So that's something I'm really, really passionate about. But also the trolling side of things as well. How do players actually manage that? How do they deal with it? because it's become accepted it's it's become part of a job which is really problematic the fact that it's been normalized is horrendous it's like how can we change this and challenge this and bbc sport have brought out the whole removing any kind of negative comments which is obviously sexist towards any women's sport which i think is a really good stand but we need others to follow suit no yeah that's definitely i mean yeah women seem to get it a lot worse a lot of the time as well and it is yeah you get trolled on a whole like personal level as well and it can be completely unwarranted but it's just because somebody's decided that they take issue even with the fact that you're a powerful woman or like you're doing well and you're successful and so they're trying to pull you down Uh, and i think especially for young people like i guess like sky brown for example so she's really young so like i guess you need some a parental figure or someone helping them manage it and helping yeah I don't know how you feel about that but potentially having some sort of control over it as well just because you do want to shield them from all of that because it can be so damaging for a young person and you've got I mean in the England women setup I mean under 19s etc they're going to be players who are getting followings and they're just too young like if you're 16 year old or 15 year old you're so impressionable at that age so you kind of need to be shielded a bit as well And it becomes addictive as well. And it's like, does it help or hinder athletes? Because if you see positive comments all the time, obviously that's great for the ego. It's great for your confidence thinking, wow, I'm a really good player. But it's when it flips, isn't it? It's like, can you actually deal with the criticism? And when it gets personal, especially that, like the difference between a hurtful comment and like a misogynistic comment, like there's a difference. Like men experience this too. Young boys experience like negative comments, but they don't experience comments on the base of their gender. No. And that's where it gets really interesting. What I'm kind of looking at at the moment as well, because it's just hard to understand isn't it so but I guess this also leads nicely on to asking you about your own social media use and the importance for Cricket Hong Kong and what you're doing with women in cricket to be able Mm. to shed light on all of these amazing stories that you've got. Yeah I guess there's two different things so my own personal social media presence I've kind of always had a bit of a love-hate relationship with it because I understand like the addictive nature of it I don't want to spend all my time on my phone on those periods where you know where you just have a blackout so you just say okay I'm going to cut this out for a couple of weeks I'm going to cut out social media I just think that you just feel so liberated and you feel like oh I'm so much more in the moment I'm so much more present whereas when you're on social media constantly you can get caught up in kind of comparing yourself against other people always feeling like you're not doing enough I haven't quite figured out how to control that part of me yet like the part that does compare myself to other people and I think that's I mean the net feeling of that you know day to day is negative so I don't post that regularly on my own social media platform although I do have a presence and I understand the importance of it with Cricket Hong Kong I mean they've they're really good and supportive of it as well so they kind of try and make sure that they like they help out with they'll screen certain things like if you're having interviews and stuff like that they'll screen it and make sure that they're happy with the content because I guess it's it's reflective on their brand as well as on the individual athletes and we've had multiple conversations in the past about you know what's appropriate what's not appropriate on social media and just the harm that it can do as well as the benefits but with women in cricket I mean that I guess when it's for a goal when you're doing it for like I have a purpose with women in cricket associate women in cricket and I think so that's completely different like it's not reflective of me personally anymore it's sharing other people's stories and I think I don't know it feels like it's a lot more positive like net the whole movement seems a lot more positive because you just get a lot of women who are supporting you I mean the women themselves are just so happy when you share their stories because a lot of them 
they've achieved incredible things, you know, within their countries and they've worked really hard, but they're just not getting any of the visibility. And so when you say, hey, like, I've seen that you've done a great job in this tournament, like, can we speak about it? They're just always so happy in it. And it's just, I mean, it's humbling and incredible to be a part of that and to kind of feel like you're doing something to move it forward. Because I just think the more women's cricket is talked about, just the better it is. And I just want to play my part in helping move things forward. I've always called myself a feminist and I kind of want to be doing something about that. I want to actually be showing that, you know, that women's cricket is important and development is important as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. Like, It's really important to elevate the women's game and to elevate stories from perhaps people that we wouldn't necessarily hear about. That's sort of what our aim is with the podcast, to highlight voices that wouldn't necessarily be in the spotlight. So we've had like a range of guests from all different backgrounds. And I think it doesn't dilute the brand. I think it enhances it more because... It's all very well and good to make it very newsy and very political, but not everyone's interested in that. When you say, oh, look, I interviewed so-and-so from Thailand, for instance, you can be like, oh, wow, I didn't even know Thailand played cricket. And again, with Hong Kong, I think more people would know that the men's team play rather than the women's. So it's just, like you've said previously, it's about finding that balance. And when it comes to social media, back on the um, what Hannah was saying about trolling, is there in your mind, in your subconscious a little bit about when it comes to posting that you are going to get that negative comments? And how do you, I suppose, how do you deal with the negativity that comes with the negative side of social media? I guess, I mean, I've been quite lucky in the sense that I haven't had anybody troll me as such, which is good. But I have had a lot of men predominantly who message inappropriate things in the sense that they're trying to hit on you. I think that, I mean, I think all women who have social media have experienced that and in quite large volumes as well. And so that's something that, I mean, luckily um, Instagram kind of screens people out, doesn't it, as well. So, but it's always there. I kind of know it's all there. And that's what's sad in a lot of ways because they're not focusing on the fact that you're playing cricket or the fact that, you know, you're trying to promote women's cricket or anything like that or like your achievements. It's more just about, oh, your potential attractiveness or your sexuality, which is pretty horrible to think that. And so, I mean, in terms of dealing with it, I guess you focus on the good. So the people who are supporting you genuinely for what you're doing as opposed to what you look like or what their perception of you as a woman or, you know. Um, So yeah, focusing on that sort of thing. But like I said, I mean, I haven't quite figured out on a personal level how to cope with social media and the negativity that comes with it as well. So if anyone's figured it out, like definitely let me know. But I guess the only thing you can do is keep telling yourself, like don't compare yourself to people, kind of ignore the people who are just on it, who are quite, yeah, who are a bit grim and focus on the positives. That's, I guess, all you can do. But I'd be interested to know your thoughts as well. Well, this is literally what I've been writing about at the moment. So my PhD supervisors started listening to the podcast. So if my supervisor, Michael, is listening, I think he'll be very happy that because I said to him, like, the podcast is relevant to the PhD. Like, I'm not spending all my time doing this. Like, I promise I am working hard and I am doing my research. So I think he will be so interested in what you're saying, because this is such a common theme. Like, mm-hmm. you look at all of the England players' Instagram accounts and the comments they get is, I love you, ma'am, marry me, you're so sexy. Stuff like that, which is just really inappropriate you want to be known for your cricket stuff but I'll pass back over to Alex because I'm hogging all the questions at the moment so over to you Alex yeah just picking up on what you said 
Yasmin, I think as a woman, regardless of whether you're involved in sport or anything, I think women have just become immune to this because they're just expecting it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a shame that women have to basically expect to be hit on on a social media platform because that's just the way social media has evolved. And on the topic of social media evolving with all these different apps and etc like TikTok, Snapchat etc becoming more and more prevalent how easy or difficult is it to build a brand within social media in general is it all about being on all social media sites or is it more about building a following on a couple say Twitter and Instagram I mean, I personally take the approach of building a following on a couple just because I don't want to spend all my time on social media. Um, So I use Instagram predominantly. I mean, I know the benefits of Twitter. So we use with Associate Women in Cricket, we use Twitter more to see what's going on because it's really great for conversation. So we'll see like what other countries are posting about. So we'll follow like Brazil cricket, like French cricket and stuff like that and view their posts and kind of use that as a platform then to find people to interview. But we don't necessarily have our own platform we don't use it to post content so it's more we use it to obtain information because I think social media is good for that as well so it's really good for finding out what other people are doing as well as well as just posting your own content but no I think I think it depends on your strategy I mean if you can do all of them like it depends on the size of your team as well so if you've got a really large team then you could potentially delegate so certain people are doing Twitter certain people are doing Instagram but we're not at that stage yet so we've got quite a small team at the moment probably similar to you and so we're still working that out we're still working out exactly how we want to do it what we want to focus on guess it's constantly evolving do you guys spend a lot of time looking at analytics seeing current trends to boost your profile or is it very much just trial and error um mixture of both I think so we do look at trends we look at what works for other people as well so you like by talking to different people I don't know if you've heard of Tim Cutler at Emerging Cricket but I had a call with him recently to speak to him because you can learn from other people's experiences and so he talked about how he grew his platform and like what might help us and what he kind of learned from his you know from his journey and building presence online and so yeah so I'd I'd talk to him look at our own analytics as well SEO optimization and all of that and then yeah trial and error of course it's a mixture but emerging cricket have done really well and it, it it's just I guess there's like you said as well there's female cricket you've mentioned that I think in previous podcasts and also women's cricket zones so there's a lot of different people out there who are trying to ultimately we're trying to achieve the same thing and so I think working together and trying to collaborate is always just really good if you can if you can figure out ways to collaborate just on these organizations like associate women in cricket and emerging cricket and women's cricket zone etc how important is it that they're focusing more on the perhaps the teams and the countries don't that aren't always in the mainstream media and aren't always getting that attention that they deserve i mean i think that it's quite hard for them to do because i think there's so much now that's going on with the test playing nations there's they i mean they're having matches which is amazing it's great like they're having more more frequent matches and stuff like that and so i think you kind of need you don't want to spread yourself too thin so they need to cover that properly like make sure that they're you know covering all the games and commenting on all the decisions by players because you need the chatter around that as well but i mean that's kind of why you then have separate platforms like emerging cricket like associate women in cricket who are focusing on something slightly different and I just think like 
we shouldn't be viewing each other as competition or they shouldn't be trying to like you know take over whatever domain someone else might be doing because just the more chat around it and the more people doing it the better I saw that you um, interviewed Radha as well and what she's doing is incredible and I just think like if we're all promoting each other talking about each other supporting each other that's just only a good thing Honestly, we are on exactly the same page here and exactly the same kind of goals because Alex and I have spoken before. It's like, we don't want to be against other people. It is like a journey with people, not trying to be competitive and we're not exclusive. We're trying to be as inclusive as possible and actively representative of the cricket world. Yeah. Like we want to to dilute your own brands by trying to somebody else or what someone else is doing because, I mean, they're doing what they're doing really well. And so yeah you want you want them to continue what they're doing and then for you to continue what you're doing as well because we were really excited to chat to you because we want voices like yours as well because you've got a brilliant story with like cricket hong kong playing like you mentioned in barbados and doing all these amazing things but within england obviously we don't get to hear much of your story so i really want to flip it back onto you now and your playing career so how did you first get involved with cricket yes it was my mother um when i was young so i think i was about probably nine ten i mean we always played we used to go to india every year and we used to play in you know the corridors of the, of the house and like outside and everything but properly when I was about 10 or 11 she, she started getting me involved with a women's team and it was largely just because she said okay well you need some connection to your Indian heritage so she used to get me and my brother to get make little Indian flags and we used to watch India play cricket and kind of like wave them in front of the TV um and yeah and the more I started playing I guess the better connection that I had because we we travel to India sometimes for tours as well But I started off actually at under 19 level, so playing for Hong Kong. So I was about 13 when I first played for Hong Kong. And I think I was just hooked from that perspective because the friends that I made, I had some incredible friends and teammates. I think you really, you win and lose together. It's really intense when you're a kid. I mean, losing is so hard to take, especially when you have that like national jersey on. And we kind of went through the the highs and lows together. And I mean, I just... Yeah, I fell in love with the game. I just and I wanted to tour more regularly as well. So that was kind of yeah, my entry into cricket was this under 19s tournament. It was actually to Thailand. I think it was yeah, quite a long time ago. And yeah, and I didn't stop playing then. It was loved it ever since. And yeah, so some of my friends are like they still play. So a lot of us have been playing since under 19 level. So it's the same team that's been playing throughout and we've grown up together in a lot of ways. And you mentioned Thailand and then we'll get back onto you as well, but I guess how exciting was it to see them at the T20 World Cup last year because I absolutely loved their presence there but at the same time I was a bit like people were just kind of a bit too just cheery about them if that makes sense it was all oh isn't it great that Thailand are here rather than viewing them as proper competitors if that makes sense yeah agreed I mean yeah so I was so excited to see them there just because we played against them so many different times that like I know their players really really well so like Jeans I mean she's known as Natakan Chantham but um, we all call her Jeans I know the captain really well as well and I've just seen how much they've come on they've they're just brilliant now they really work together well as a unit Um, and they just I mean they dominate at Asian level now Um, you know in these tournaments that we played we used to beat them but I mean, it's very rare that we beat we would beat them now. And I think, I mean, as you say, I mean, yes, it was kind of like, okay, great, Thailand are here. This is great. But equally, I mean, I don't think anyone, by the end of the tournament, I don't think anyone was underestimating them because they saw how well they played against Pakistan. And just, I mean, Jeans got picked for the women's IPL as well. And it's just, I think, and everyone was really upset the fact that she didn't get 
as much of an opportunity as perhaps she should have done. But yeah, you, you can't really underestimate them. And I think the more they're around in those circles, like when they start defeating teams, I think they defeated Sri Lanka as well. People will start to take notice. And it's only a matter of time because like Thailand will start winning games. So it's fine. I think if people underestimate them now, that's fine because <laughs> they won't be doing it for long. <laughs> you mentioned that you started playing for Hong Kong at the age of 13. Was that under 19 level? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. So we also spoke to Abtahar earlier on and she was saying she started her Scotland career quite young as well. I think she was... 12 when she started playing for under 17s and then by the time she was like 14 she was playing for the first team so being that young when you started to play do you feel a sense of pressure from the get-go to perform I mean when you're a kid there really wasn't that much pressure I think because like at least at under 19 levels so there was there were players who were like 18 19 and so they kind of carried the team and I think they bore the burden of the pressure whereas we were just kids I mean I was I think I started probably when I was like 11 playing like kind of in and around the Hong Kong squad and so there's no real expectation there people are all just clapping you on the back whenever you get a wicket or whenever you make runs because there's no expectation initially I think the expectation and the pressure comes as you get older because then you're that person that the youngsters start looking up to and you're that person that's been around for a long time and so then the coaches expect performances from you you know once you've performed once then that then that expectation is there for you to perform and repeat that performance again and again but no I mean it was just all about the fun at when I was that age when I was 13 all it was was just being on tour with friends playing a sport that I love so yeah I think you look back on that with just like nothing but fondness the pressure only came later Another question I had is when you first started playing for Hong Kong, did they welcome you quite openly? Because sometimes with certain teams, not just this isn't specific to cricket, specific to all sports, sometimes players find it difficult to adjust to new players coming in. So was it quite a welcoming environment to be involved with? Yeah, it's definitely welcoming. I mean, there was no hostility whatsoever. I think people were just really supportive. I mean, I've seen youngsters coming in and I don't think like they're little kids, you know, with these massive helmets, like really big pads, like that look too big for them. You can't be mean to them. There's no way <laughs> they're just that you, you're going to be supportive. I think we've had games in Hong Kong where, yeah, you'll have like a little kid coming on and everybody like, you know, the p- pace will come off the ball. People won't be bowling fast at them anymore. Like people will be passing them on the backs. I mean, when we went for international tournaments, obviously people wouldn't slow down or anything, but there was still that support, I mean, from your teammates and even from the opposition in a lot of ways, because again, it's that common goal of trying to push women's cricket forward so I think everybody has that in mind that you want the youngsters to succeed and you want them to come forward and even be better than you are because that's the only way that women's cricket is going to develop is if they get more opportunities than we did and I mean it's hard in a sense because I guess there's a little bit of sadness in the fact that you didn't get those opportunities potentially but equally I'd never ever resent youngsters getting more opportunities than I do. And I think that that was what I had some amazing mentors within Cricket Hong Kong as well. He played at like Australian state level. And, you know, there was just we learned so much from them. Yeah, as youngsters cheering them on on the sides. That's such an amazing attitude to have as well, because I know you're saying that I've heard a few times within the women's games, like leaving the game in a better place than it was when you were playing kind of thing. And obviously you still got plenty of time left in your career. But what has been one of the biggest highlights so far? Obviously, I know the Asia Cup is a really big thing for Hong Kong. So Mm. tell us a little bit about that as well. Yes, I mean, I guess highlights were probably under 19 level when I was six and I got 
player of the tournament so that was incredible and that was kind of there was a girl called Kinu Gill who used, who played for Hong Kong and when I was 13 playing I used to what we all used to watch her and just cheer and if she got out the whole of Hong Kong team were just like oh no that's it like <laughs> we're, we're messed up but I think like seeing how well she did kind of she was my inspiration and then I said to myself I think at that point when I was 13 I was like okay ne- in the next time there's an under-19s game and tournament I want to be player of the tournament like she was and so I managed to achieve that goal which was incredible I guess it just shows you the power of kind of setting yourself a goal and working incredibly hard towards it and Hong Kong didn't even win so it was it was a really good achievement I mean and then yeah more recently was the East Asia Cup so I was awarded player of the tournament for that as well so that was amazing and that was in 2017 and we won the tournament which is the best part I mean my team in general we've got players who potentially just don't get as much exposure but they're incredible so there's a girl called Betty Chan I'd say she is one of the best off spinners in the whole of like associate cricket and I don't know batters seem to get a bit more like I don't know when you do well batting you get a lot more attention than you do when you're a bowler and that doesn't seem fair you've got Jasmine Titmus as well in Hong Kong and she's an incredible bowler as well and I think they don't get potentially the recognition but they're consistent game after game like give everything to each game and get so many wickets and like are incredible bowlers like the consistency I think bowling's harder in a lot of ways the bat because the mental strength that you need to like you know if you bowl a bad ball to then pick yourself up and bowl another one whereas in batting when you're out you're out and you just forget about it but these girls are just amazing and obviously the physical toll that it has on your body as well so I guess like highlights have been probably the East Asia Cup because we really performed so well as a team and we gelled together as a team. I completely agree with the uh, bowlers union that you've just put out kind of thing I think bowlers do get underappreciated sometimes I think so yeah good good claims (laughs) you mentioned Jazz Titmus there as well so that's one of the players who I was on an MCC tour with so she was amazing and I was like the youngest person on the tour and she was such a good inspiration and now she's been living out there for quite some time hasn't she and was she the coach at some point she was the coach yes for Hong Kong Cricket Club and she I mean she's brilliant just she brings so much positivity to the team like Jazz is always smiling she doesn't get she's one of those people who who doesn't like you know when when we lose and stuff like that Jazz takes it better than anybody else and she doesn't take it to heart or anything like that I guess it's just because she's played so much cricket but she was just such a positive influence in the team and such a role model as well because she was a bit older than some of the other girls but yeah brilliant fielder brilliant batter brilliant bowler so like a true all-rounder and yeah She's doing really well out there. I mean, even in her career, I don't know if you managed to speak to Jazz much, but she just she's one of those people that just has so many friends and is always like generating a buzz. Has always got stuff going on. Yeah, because um, for people who don't know, Jazz was at Lancashire, I think, for quite a long time of her kind of county career, and she went to Loughborough as well because you know I love Loughborough. <laughs> so it's amazing to hear that she's still doing so much in the game as well. Yeah, so she just played, I think, recently in the women's IPL in Hong Kong. Sorry, not the IPL, um, the women's Premier League, um, WPL. And she did really well. Yeah, bold incredibly as usual. And yeah, she and so she, I think she might become on board as well, like in some of the future tournaments and as like a manager or as a coach. That would be brilliant because, yeah, she's such a special player. Quick Seema, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to pass across to Alex to ask you the next question. So you are the vice captain of Hong Kong. So we at Women's Cricket Chat just wanted to know how that role came about for you and what was it like to find out that you were the vice captain? 
So I actually got given the role over the pandemic. Yeah, so Carrie Chan's the current captain. And I think they just thought that I'd be a good support for her um, and that we'd work well together. And yeah, she's brilliant. I mean, it's not been the easiest time to lead a team, you know, like keeping people motivated to continue with their fitness. It's difficult. And Carrie's really led from the been at every session really positive she leads a lot of the sessions like the fitness sessions and stuff like that and I think she's also good because she is local Chinese so she bridges that gap in a lot of ways so she she's really well liked by the whole team she can speak Cantonese which is really important I think for Hong Kong to have somebody who really represents you know the actual culture and then yeah so my role has been largely support carrying kind of be encouraging and to help her lead the team as well um, and it's been an incredible experience so far can't wait to obviously have a chance to do that on field so to be vice captain on tour and on field but yeah I expected it all and yeah I'm really grateful Hong Kong Cricket Hong Kong kind of trusted me with that responsibility and talk to us about what kind of player you are because obviously you come into the is it middle order kind of batter and tell us how you approach your innings I'm openness. I open the batting. Um, I thought you must have been an opener, but somebody said like <laughs> I think it was on ESPN. It was like middle order, so we need to get onto them. Yeah, I think I probably should actually. It said that for a long time. I haven't been a middle order batsman. I don't think ever. Yes, yeah, so, I mean we play a lot of T20s. My role's always kind of to bat through so we've got a lot of explosive batters to you know hit like a lot more boundaries and stuff like that early on and my role's always been to rotate strike and then to try and end up you know at the end of the to bat through the entire of the 20 overs and kind of hold the team together and hold like the stability kind of a thing I've kind of been trying to change it more because I think you watch the way women's cricket's progressing now and you just have a lot of people just hitting quite a lot more and so I'm working a lot more hitting over the top and being more aggressive which is a lot of fun I mean that's like you know hitting the ball just really hard is just a lot of fun but yeah in the past I mean that's been my role's always been the anchor of the team and I've enjoyed that role as well but they're they're really quite different I guess in 2022 we've got the Fairbreak Global competition um happening in your backyard in Hong Kong so is that something that you're looking forward to have you like applied to be a part of it or anything yeah so I've applied to be part of it I'm so excited for the Fairbreak tournament it's going to be incredible like I think there's going to be 12 Hong Kong players who are playing so it'll just be such a great experience for them to play alongside some of the world's best female cricketers just gives Hong Kong a lot of exposure as well because we really mince. I don't know if you've seen like the blitz in the past the, t- the men's t20 blitz um the Hong Kong cricket sixes uh, all of these tournaments have been really successful in the sense that they do pull in good viewers and the atmosphere is incredible I mean the Hong Kong cricket and the Hong Kong rugby sevens for example as well like they, there are a lot of sports fans in Hong Kong and so yeah I'm really looking forward to kind of bring some of that atmosphere to women's cricket it has the potential to be a really huge success there's not been anything like it for women's cricket 100% because Alex had a question actually about the opportunities as well because the calendar can be quite scarce I guess there aren't that many opportunities to play so what does 2021 look like for you yeah so I mean we'll probably have pre-tours I think I think there's some talk about fair break potentially doing a, a tournament um, in Hong Kong earlier than November and also there'll be a pre-tour I would have thought so somewhere like India or somewhere like Thailand um, and then there'll be the November tournament but I think it's been really hard to put anything in you know to set anything in stone calendar just because there's so much but 2022 looks like it's going to be a huge year so I think there's the East Asia Cup there's 
the Bear Break Global Tournament. And I think whenever you have Tour 4, there are always these pre-tours having a recap. So that's kind of why it's been a shame, you know, the under-19s has been cancelled for the women because I think it's almost chicken and egg in a lot of ways. Like if you have these tournaments, then people prep for them, put these structures in place. Whereas if you don't have anything in the calendar, then that just slows down progress as well. I think that's a really nice place to kind of end it now as well because I could keep going on and on asking you about the kind of structures in place and I know there's like a new domestic premier league like you mentioned started in was it 2020 and stuff like that like there's so much going on hopefully we'll keep boosting the profile of cricket in Hong Kong and beyond I think we'll be here all day talking about it well yeah we'll keep in touch and and see if there's any opportunities to work together because yeah I'd love to help out with you guys in any way I can as well and you're doing a great job yeah as are you like honestly the feeling is mutual it's amazing how like opportunities like this being able to talk to you you do meet some amazing people and that's what I've loved the most about doing this podcast and I think Alex is the same isn't it yeah and you meet people you're going to meet people like around the globe so like when you when you talk about going to these different countries you'll know somebody on the grounds as well which is awesome like it's just the friendships you make as well 100% like I feel like I'm trying I'm finally kind of finding my people and finding my sense of purpose which sounds super deep but genuinely like I'm just really enjoying every moment of this so thank you so much for coming on and I think before um, we do end it Alex has got some quick fire questions um, which we do at the end of all of our podcasts just general kind of quick fire 60 seconds so I always like to start with this question and it is favorite musician oh hard Bob Dylan favorite genre of music pop favorite place you've been on holiday to Barbados favorite place you've played Thailand last book you read Cheryl Sandberg can't remember the name last tv show you binge watched oh this is embarrassing um the vampire diaries last film you watched pass can't think of it this one is Hannah's favorite and it is a favorite sledge oh um big swing no ding literally (laughs) you two must be and sing or something because that's Hannah's favourite we are soul sisters honestly oh my god I love that yeah I've got a friend Kitty Levinson and we use that all the time (laughs) we overuse it favourite team you've played against Thailand Hannah have you got any questions any burning questions you want to ask well now you just reminded me I completely forgot about all the teams that you've played against because we were going to ask you about that and now I've realised I forgot to ask in terms of like this was like is it Myanmar and people like that who, especially in English audience, would be like, oh, you play cricket? Yeah, I mean, Bhutan is a big one. Um, and they're really interesting because apparently they measure gross, gross national happiness rather than GDP. So just a fun fact about Bhutan. And it's a kingdom. And I think it like they limit the number of people that can go there. So, I mean, playing cricket against them is incredible. Indonesia, like you said, Myanmar, Thailand, China. Malaysia, Singapore, Nepal. Yeah, I mean, I could go on, but there's a lot of teams that play that probably people wouldn't know unplayed. So the only quick fire one from me as well is player from Hong Kong that we should be keeping an eye on. Marianne Beebe. So she's a young up and coming bowler, really passionate about the game. And yeah, I think it's important to focus on the young up to coming talent as well, because they haven't necessarily had the opportunities that we have. But no, thank you very much, both of you. And yeah, have a great week and well, the what's left of it perfect well thank you so much for coming on i think alex just needs your social media details and then we're good to go so yazdaz is my instagram yazed <laughs> is my twitter and where can our followers find women in cricket as well 
Yeah, so the, the website's called associatecricket.com and then you can on Facebook as well. Perfect. Well, have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you. Speak to you guys soon. Speak soon. Bye. 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 Massive thank you to Yasmin for coming on and being a guest on the podcast and for teaching us all a little bit about Hong Kong cricket. We wish them all the luck in the world for the World Cup qualifiers. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat and on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. And if you wanted to give our personal Twitters a follow, Hannah is at HannahTee1194 and I'm at Alex Jane Pereira. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time.